Yeah. Okay, so winter got here a bit abruptly. And as you may know, no, not woo. No, uh-uh. No, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of winter. Uh, I don't mind it along, around the holidays, but I need a smoother transition. 80 to 20, not okay. All right, we need to level things out, Lord. Level it out, okay? Hey, we're in this bucket list series, and we're talking about things that, and we all have a bucket list, whether we realize it or not. We're talking about things that we're trying to achieve, accomplish, attain, uh, experience, whatever that may be, before it's too late. We're trying to accomplish some stuff. We've got our lives aligned towards some things before it's too late. And so what we've been looking at in this series is this. Before we go jumping off any cliffs, before we go climbing any mountains, and I don't know about you, in that countdown video, the thing that freaks me out the most is the people riding those donkeys uh, along the rim of the Grand Canyon like like if I'm gonna go out I want it to be my fault not because a donkey had an aneurysm right <laughs> it just freaks me out but before we go doing any of that stuff there's some things we need to make sure take priority on the bucket list right and so Jim week one he led us through this before we go crossing anything off the bucket list we need to make sure that our our relationship with God is literally on firm and solid ground right like that that our relationship with God is based solely on what Jesus has done for us by grace through faith in Jesus not based on what we can do for ourselves that that was the first thing we talked about then last week we said listen we got to really take a look at our relationship to this thing called money because money has this potential to be a great tool in our hands but the problem is oftentimes money takes control over us. So we ask some really, really hard questions like, is money ruling over me or am I ruling over it? Is my money aimed towards the things that God says matters most, which we talked about last week is simply this, his name, all right, telling people about Jesus and his people, taking care of people. So pointing to the eternal while taking care of the, the temporary. And last week we said this, however your life is currently aligned, in other words, the way you spend your time and your money, reveals what is in fact, whether you like it or not, most important to you. So I said last week, if you're brave, what you would have done this past week is you would have audited your time and your money and taken a real honest look to go, where's my time and where's my money really really aimed? Where's that going? And then the follow-up question, this is even more invasive, was this, does that... The thing that obviously I value the most align with what God says matters most. See, there's one, there's one more way, and we're going to look at that this, this weekend, one more way that we can kind of diagnose uh, what matters most to us, and it's this. What do you worry about? What do you worry about? What, what consumes a huge amount of your mental energy? What creates angst and anxiety in you? What do you find yourself thinking about in the middle of the night when you can't sleep? What is it that prevents you from being able to focus on more important things? What is it that gets the majority of your mental strength? And this won't be a newsflash to anyone, but we are a nation of worriers. We worry so much, and, and it might not surprise you, and I, I checked all kinds of different stats and polls and things like that this past week, but the number one thing that people in America worry about is money. It's money. And really, three out of the top five things that were listed on most of the polls I saw were related to money. And then the other two were about our physical health, our physical well-being. So the two, the two things we worry about that we're the most anxious about are money and our health. And so to be really honest with you, that's not like a purely American thing. That's not a recent thing. That's just a people thing. That's always been true of people. 
So we're going to pick up right where we left off last week, where Jesus has been giving this teaching. And if you remember last week, or if you weren't here, what was going on was Jesus was in the middle of teaching, and all this, and he's teaching about really important eternal stuff. And all of a sudden, this guy stands up and literally interrupts Jesus in the middle of his teaching. And goes, yeah, 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 that's all important. But Jesus, what I need you to do is I need you to take care of this little this little problem I have with my brother because he won't split up the inheritance with me. And so Jesus gives this teaching to illustrate what's wrong with this man's worldview when he talks about this this man who was a farmer and he had a great great crop, a great harvest, and he thinks to himself, what should I do with this great wealth that I've accrued? And he thinks, I'll tear down the barns that I have, I'll build bigger barns, and I'll store away everything I have for myself so that I can rest and relax, and I can just enjoy the rest of my life. And what Jesus says in that story, but God said, you fool, this very night your soul's going to be demanded of you, and then who will have all the wealth that you've accrued? And the answer is, not you. Not you. You can't take it with you. It all goes back in the box. And the the place Jesus landed that teaching that we looked at last week was in Luke chapter 12, verse 21, where he said this, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In other words, nothing wrong with taking care of yourself, laying up treasure for yourself, but if you do that to the exclusion of being rich toward God, that's not, that's not a great way to live your life. And being rich toward God simply means leveraging your life towards the things that God says matters, matters the most. So that's where we left off, and we're going we're gonna to pick up because Jesus didn't quit teaching in that moment. He just keep, kept going, and so this is kind of part B of what we looked at last week. Look at verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be, here's our word, anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. So when Jesus uses that word anxious, what that word means is simply this, worrying to the degree that it consumes your mind. So here's the way I would kind of phrase that. Don't be so worried about your life that your worry robs you of life. Can anybody go, yeah, I've been there. I mean, some of us are real worriers. Don't be so worried about your life that that your worry robs you of your life. That's the dynamic that plays out with worry. We get so concerned about life that we can't enjoy the life that we have. One of the major problems with worry, at least for me, is that worry is based on an illusion. Worry is based on the illusion that somehow if I worry about something enough, that will change the outcome of that thing that I'm so worried about. Anybody else or is it just me? Like, like I'm kind of a control freak and so I think, man, if I can just churn this over, go through every scenario in my head, if I can really just chew on this for a while, that somehow that will actually change the way tomorrow looks. But it doesn't. It never works that way. But what it does do is it robs me of the joy that I could be experiencing today. Like, I was thinking about that this week. How many, how many days have I lost with my wife and with my kids and with my friends because I was so anxious about what might happen in the future? How many times have I been distant and defeated today because of something that may or may not happen the day after that? How many times have I sat, like, at a park with my kids playing all around me, and I'm there, but I'm not really there? I got, like, this distant, blank look on my face because I'm so, I'm so anxious about something. And I'm probably not the only one. The thing about worry is this, worry is always about the future. It's always about tomorrow. You don't worry about last yesterday, you don't worry about last year because that's over and that's done, and you don't worry about what's in front of you right now, you you have a tendency to worry about what's in in the future, and all that does is rob us of what we could have today. Now, for all the type A planners in the room, let me let you off the mat a little bit right now because I'm kind of with you, okay? There's nothing wrong with planning for the future. There's a big difference between being wise and planning for the future and being anxious and worried about the future. 
But for, for me, let me just, I'll just use me, okay? I, I get so hung up on my plans for the future. I, I get this picture in my head of the way tomorrow's supposed to play out. And I'm a, I'm a really big routine person. So I like to have things mapped out the way things are going to go. And when things don't go the way that I had planned, I get really, really anxious. Sometimes really, really angry. Because things aren't playing out the way that I had in mind. I had all these expectations and then nothing lives up to my expectations and I have a tendency to spin out when that happens. So again, it's the half-brother of Jesus, James, who gives us really great perspective on a better way to look at our lives and a better way to look at tomorrow when he says this, come now, you who say, and what he ought to say is, come now, all you type A planning people who drive people crazy, Come, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And that's just true, whether you like it or not. How about this next statement for a real sobering fact? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, what you ought to say is if the Lord wills, we will live and we'll do this and we'll do that. And this is kind of woven all throughout Scripture. Proverbs says it this way, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. In other words, make your plans. There's nothing wrong with that, but make no mistake. It's God who makes those things possible. So here's what we have to remember, okay? When Jesus teaches us this, not to worry, not to be anxious, but all these things that we get so wound up over, we have to remember why Jesus, what his motives are. Jesus wants good for us. He wants good things for us. So he's directing us not to lose today because we're so worried about tomorrow. So make your plans and then leave the rest in the hands of God. And that's, a, that's just a better way to do life. But when we worry, what we're ultimately doing, and we would never own up to this, but what we're actually doing is it's actually a really subtle way of playing God. When we worry, what we're doing is we're playing God. When I worry, what I'm saying to God is, God, I don't believe you. I don't trust that you'll take care of me. I got to take care of myself. I got I to be the protector of everybody. I got to take care of everything. I got to hold everything down because I don't believe that you will. I don't believe that you will keep your promises and I don't believe you'll do your job. So I've got to step into your role and do it for you. That's ultimately what I'm doing when I worry. So Jesus is going, you don't, you don't have to live like that. You're not meant to play God. You can't handle the pressure. So, so Jesus says your life is more than what you eat and what you wear. Your life is more than just the material needs that you want or that you have. So don't put all your mental energy and all your mental strength into worrying about these things. Now he gives an object lesson. Look at this, verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? Now, now remember, Jesus did most of his teaching outdoors. And so I imagine Jesus standing there, he's teaching, and he's looking around, and he goes, think about the ravens, look at them. Do they look worried to you? Are they pacing around? Are they anxious? Are they wringing their wings together? You know, I mean, no, they're not, do, they're not, they're not doing any of that. They just, they, and by the way, Jesus goes, you are so much more valuable than them. You're so much more valuable than them, and yet your heavenly Father takes care of of them. That's a good object lesson, but here's the verse that really kind of hits me between the eyes. Look at this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Is that really working out for anybody? Anybody's life get longer because you were a worrier? Anybody's life get shorter? Yeah. No, but nobody's life gets longer. And again, that just hits me right between the eyes because that just, that just cuts right through that illusion of control that worry is based on. It's never played out in real life. Nobody's ever benefited from worry, but so many of us have, have had so many negative ramifications of worry in our life, right? It doesn't add life, but it can rob us 
of life. I mean, think about it. How many legitimate medical issues that we suffer with are rooted in worry and anxiety? And worry is very closely related to fear. They're very similar. We're worried and we're fearful of what tomorrow may bring. And fear of tomorrow robs us of joy today. Which is probably why there's this command all throughout the scriptures. Fear not, fear not, fear not. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Jesus says it three times in Luke 12 alone. Don't be afraid. So number one, the first thing we've really got to have in our brains is this. Worry doesn't help us. It only hurts us. It's never helped anybody. And I don't know about you, but that object lesson's nice. And being told not to worry, I guess, is helpful. But at the end of the day, like, I'm, I'm a flawed human being. I worry all the time. So I need to know what to do with my worry when I worry, because I worry all the time. Which is probably why 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 7 is, for a long time, since I was very, very young, been one of my favorite verses, because it's really helpful to me. Look at this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Here it is. Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. And here's how I would paraphrase that. I would just say, hey, could we all just stop playing God and trust that God is strong enough to take care of us better than we could ever take care of ourselves? And in the meantime, why don't we just tell him what we're actually worried about? I don't know how it works for you, but when I get worried, I get silent. I get really, really quiet. I live in my own head and I start churning over everything and I don't let people in. And, and I, I think that I'm really good at hiding the fact that I'm worried, but apparently everybody around me has figured out when I'm worried, I'm not as good at it as I thought I was. But not only do I get silent with the people that care about me the most, I actually get silent with God. There's been so many times that I've, I've kind of realized like, wow, I've been worried about this thing for like a month, for several months or whatever it is, and I haven't even prayed about it. I haven't even talked to God about it. I haven't talked to a person about it, and I haven't talked to God about it. Here's the thing. God invites me, that verse says, to cast. When it says cast all your anxieties on him, it literally means just be rid of them. Just heap them up. Throw them onto God's shoulders. Because, by the way, his shoulders are bigger than ours. He can carry them way better than we can. And that I can trust God because he cares for you. He cares for us. So, so I can hand that stuff over to him. I can tell him, here's what I'm worried about. And just by telling him what I'm worried about, that makes the anxiety level decrease. Right? And I can understand that God wants good for me. So Jesus keeps going. Remember, he's outside when he says all this. So another object lesson's coming. He says, look, if then you are not able to do as small as thing as that, you can't add a single second to your life by worrying. If you can't even do that, why are you anxious about the rest of, about the rest of everything else? Consider the lilies, how they grow. So now he's pointing at flowers. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, one of the most famous kings in all the world, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these flowers. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, tomorrow gets thrown into an oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not, here's a really important word, hang on to this one. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father, know, he knows you need them. He knows that. And this word seek here is really, really important because it's actually a negative word. This is a, this is a word that's used to describe a certain worldview, a way of living, a way of ordering your life that's representative of the way most of us have lived most of our lives for most of the time. See, this word seek is actually very closely related to the word lust. Which means this, to have your affections directed towards something, to long after something, to desire something, not with some of your heart, but with all of your heart. 
Now again, I, tr- I, I like to make this clear as often as possible. I believe that most of life is not about us trying to kill uh, affections that we have for bad things. That's some of life. We have some, some disordered affections towards things that are bad for us. We do have that. But I think most of life, I think most of the battleground of life is to guard against good affections gone bad. I think the biggest battle in my heart is overvaluing good things at the expense of the best thing. Because when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, ultimately that good thing becomes a very, very destructive thing, right? So there's nothing wrong with a desire for food or a desire for water, desire for clothing or protection or any of those things. After all, God made us to need those things, so he's aware of the fact that we need them. But when our entire lives become ordered around taking care of ourselves and nothing else, lusting after these types of things, that prevents me from at least two things. Number one, it prevents me from faith. Prevents me from having faith. Believing and ordering my life in such a way as to demonstrate that I believe that God is who he says he is and will keep all of his promises and I can trust that God will ultimately take care of me. So when I order my entire life around only taking care of myself, that says that I'm taking the place of God. I don't have faith in God, I have faith in me to take care of me. What it also prevents me from is it prevents me from taking care of others. When my whole life is about satisfying my needs, my wants, my desires, and nothing else, by definition, that restricts me from taking care of other people. And getting to take care of other people, getting to be generous to other people is actually a better way to live. I mean, last week I stood up here and without apology, I said, listen, if you want to align your finances with the two things God says matters most, spreading his name around the world and taking care of people's temporary needs, pointing to the eternal while taking care of the temporary, you will not find a better organization to do that with than Flatirons Community Church. And we showed video after video after video of people and organizations who have been changed and affected because what you give in those buckets at the end of every service matters so, so much. You can go online, you can see more of those videos that have poured in. We're putting them on all of our Facebook pages this past week and into this weekend. So you can see brass tacks, who gets affected by those dollars that you put in the bucket. And the number one comment I heard last weekend was simply this. I had no idea. I had no idea we were helping so many people. I had no idea we were taking care of so many people, both locally, all along the front range, and globally, all around the world. And the re- let's, let's just be real. Some of us don't get to participate in that because we're so worried about ourselves that we're missing out on an awesome opportunity to, in faith, reach out and take care of other people. We're missing out on a life lived in faith that God will take care of us because we're busy playing God trying to take care of ourselves We don't get to have the opportunity to have these generous hearts that God wants for us. See, when I truly believe that God will take care of me, it frees me up to be an instrument that God uses to take care of others. When I truly believe, man, God's got me. God's going to take care of me. That creates freedom for me to be able to reach out and be generous and take care of other people, which, again, is just a better way to do life. But man, we get so fixated on things, don't we? We start lusting after things. We get caught up in this belief that if I could just get that, if I could just experience that, if I could just have that, then I would be satisfied. Then my life would be complete. And our whole life gets ordered around trying to get a job, a spouse, a house, a car, power, influence, a platform, recognition, appreciation, achievement, and the list goes on and on and on. And here's the thing. Sometimes we get what we chase after. And that's a rough day for some of us. You know why? Let me ask it in the form of a question. You got that thing that you ordered your entire life after getting, and let me ask it, did it satisfy you? And for how long did it satisfy you? 
if at all. See, what happens so often in life is we get the thing that we ordered our whole life around, we chased after, we gave everything towards it, and then we get it, and we're like, this is it. This is it. It doesn't satisfy. Just being really honest, I mean, there was a day where I would have literally probably been willing to cut off my right arm to get to do what I'm doing right now. I would have. I, for a long time, ordered my whole life around, man, this is the greatest, this is the ultimate, this is the thing, and this is great. I mean, this is awesome. I love getting to preach. I love getting to do what I'm doing. This platform is a huge responsibility. It's a huge privilege. But listen, this is not capable of giving me what my deepest needs are. It's not capable of satisfying the deepest longings of my heart. And if I try to get from this what I can only get from God, I'm going to get really angry and really frustrated really fast. See, that's why Jesus is saying, don't seek after, don't lust after things that won't ultimately satisfy you anyway. It's not going to pay off at the end of the day. Now, one of the things I love about Jesus is he doesn't just identify what doesn't work. He doesn't just point out the problem. He does that really, really well. But he also points us to something better. He points us to something that's a better way to do life. And he does it really, really simply. He points to how things really work. Look at this. He says, instead... So instead of all that, instead of the way you've lived most of your life, instead, what about this? Seek, there's that word, and hang on to that one, his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Now that word seek right there in the English is translated the same way, but in the Greek, they're two different words. So this is not the same seek that has the connotation of lusting after something. This seek simply means searching. In other words, make this the lead pursuit of your life. Fix your mind on and give your attention to something And what Jesus says to give your attention to is his kingdom. And we've talked a lot about that concept of the kingdom of God for the past few years around here. God's kingdom is God's people in God's place living under his rule and blessing. So so what that means is to seek to actively put yourself under God's authority. To go, you're God, I'm not. You're God, I'm not. Stop worrying, stop playing God, stop trying to control everything. And trust that you have a good king who wants to give good gifts to his children. So actively seek to order your life towards the things that Jesus says are best. And then look at what Jesus adds on to this. He says, do that and then all these things will be added to you. What's these things talking about? All the things you're so worried about, all the things you're so concerned about, food and money and clothes and and a house and a job and all, all that kind of stuff. God knows you need those things. He'll take care of you. Those will be added to you as well. Write this down. It's really important. God doesn't want to deprive you. God's not out to get you. God doesn't want bad for you. God wants good for you. God's not trying to destroy you. He's begun a good work in you, and he promised he'll be faithful to complete it. He doesn't want to leave you. He doesn't want to forsake you. He doesn't want to abandon you. He promises to walk beside you. And if you ever question any of that, all you have to do is remember and look to the cross. Oh, yeah. He sent his one and only son for me. He gave everything for me. Why would he now withhold anything from me if he's already given that much? Which is why Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's, and I love this, good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, what God gives us, the good things he gives us, he doesn't give begrudgingly, he doesn't give half-heartedly, he gives out of the overflow of a generous heart that loves to give good gifts to his children. It's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Those are God's intentions towards us said it before our entire lives are lived out of what we believe God's intentions are towards us if you believe God's out to get you you're going to leave lead your entire life out of that paradigm if you believe God wants good for you you'll live your entire life out of that paradigm 
All of life is based on what we believe God's intentions are towards us. So if we're honest, we would have to say, this is what a lot of us do. What we do is we hedge our bets. We'll say with our mouths, in God we trust. We'll put it on our money. Why is that on our money, by the way, you think? So that every time we let go of that, we remember, or we take hold of that, we remember, I don't trust in this, this biggest competitor for my faith, biggest competitor for my heart is money. No, in God we trust. So we'll, we'll say that out loud, but the reality is if you were to really examine our lives, if you were to really look at how we spend our time and our money, and if you were to really look at what we worry about, there would be no evidence that we actually do trust in God. So let me ask a really personal, invasive question that might make you mad. Is that enough qualifiers? This is a question I think we all need to ask of ourselves this week. Am I risking anything in any part of my life for what God says matters most? Am I risking anything in any part of my life for what God says matters most, which is his name and his people? Am I risking anything? Because here's the reality. Where there is no risk, there is no trust. That's just true. Where in our lives are we seeking his kingdom to such a degree that if he doesn't show up, if he doesn't do what he promised to do, we're done, we're finished, it's over. Down for 10 count, right? Where do we have anything on the line to the degree that if God doesn't do what he promised that he would do, that we're, we're, we're out of luck, man? Is there, is there any part of our financial lives where we're demonstrating that we trust God? Does the way we align our money demonstrate that we have faith that God is who he says he is and will do everything he's ever promised to do? I know some, some of you after last week and this week, you're going, Scott, listen, you have no idea what's going on in my financial life. I've dug such a hole with my finances. Sometimes out of really good intentions, we do that, right? I've made so many poor decisions that even if I wanted to align my finances with what God says is most important, it's just simply not possible right now. And I get that. I, I, I hear all the stories all the time. But here's a question. What are you currently doing today to change that reality? What are you moving towards? Instead of worrying about your finances, what if you actually decided to do something to pursue what God says is best with your finances? Because I don't know if you realize this or not, worrying about your finances doesn't change your finances. It doesn't. It only changes us. Worry changes us, but it doesn't change the reality of our, of our finances. So, so one of my best friends in the world, is, is his name is Michael Kane, and Michael's our chief financial officer around here. He's been here for years and years and years, and he has literally helped thousands and thousands of people dig out of their financial hole, the pit that they've been in, and pursue financial freedom. He's helped thousands of people do that uh, through his financial workshop. We got one of those coming up January 14th. You can get online. You can sign up for that. It's, a, it's awesome. I mean, literally, he's helped thousands of people over the years through that workshop, okay? I, Michael is, I don't want to make his head too big, all right, but he is almost supernaturally gifted at being able to help people do this. Now, right now, you may be going, man, I don't, I don't have till January. I'm, I'm going to be evicted, like, soon. Like, it's not, I'm not going to last till January. And I talked to Michael this week, and he's willing. He does this all the time. He set, fills up his calendar with financial counseling appointments. And I see people come into his office all the time. And he's just, out of, because he loves people and he wants good for them, he's helping people. He's looking at what's going on in their finances, and he's helping them make a plan. So you can set up an appointment with him. His email address is on the website. Uh, he's not that good looking, but it's okay. You don't have to make eye contact. So... <laughs> I had to get in a jab there somewhere. My, Michael is, I believe, the walking definition of one of my favorite verses, which is this. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. An enemy multiplies kisses. And if we're honest, some of our friends have been playing the enemy in our lives because they've been unwilling to say the hard things that need to be said to us about our financial lives. 
But Michael, Michael will tell you the truth that you don't want to hear. He will do that because he wants good for you. So he'll tell you things like, well, you need to sell your house. You need to get rid of cable. You need to stop buying new cars. You need to tell your 30-year-old to move out of the basement and get a job. He'll, he'll t- I made a bunch of 30-year-olds mad last night with that statement. Like, man, I got kicked out of the house last night. <laughs> You're welcome. This is... So here's the thing, though, okay? So what I just did is I just put a dilemma in front of you now. Because now there's no excuse. You, you, we now have a choice. Do you really want what you say you want? Which is, which is to have financial freedom, to be out from being just under the control of debt and money and all those things? Oh, okay. That's going to require something different than what we've been doing. And what it's going to require is sacrifice, And if we're really honest, what a lot of us want is we want financial freedom without sacrifice. We want to win the lottery. We want Powerball, man. We want to go to Vegas. We want to hit roulette or something, you know. But it wouldn't be good for our hearts, believe it or not, it would not be good for our hearts if that happened. It wouldn't be. See, we have to always remember something. God doesn't need our money. This hadn't been two weeks on how much God needs your money. Listen, at the end of our services, when those people come with the buckets in the back of the auditoriums and things like that, it's not like God's in heaven wringing his hands, praying to himself, going, oh, dear me, I hope, I wish they would just put in a few more dollars because if they don't, what will I do? No, God doesn't need our money. God understands very, very clearly how important it is for us to let go of money so that money doesn't take hold of us. God knows that letting go of money is good for us. Which is why Jesus says this in verse 33. He says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, take care of people. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. This is what we talked about last week. Direct your money towards the things that will resonate with eternity. Demonstrate with your money who God is and what he's done. Worship God with your money. Demonstrate what you think about God with what you do with your money. Because let's be really honest. What most of us spend our money on is things that like immediately lose value, things that break down, things that get lost, get stolen, or things that become obsolete. We, we buy an iPhone and they come out with another one the next week. And all of a sudden we're dissatisfied with the one that we have because we didn't know that we needed that one. We drive a new car off the lot, you drive it a block, it loses $5,000 in value, right? If you've ever been robbed or had stuff stolen from you, you know all too well, money and stuff can go away in a heartbeat. And Jesus says, man, there's a way to align your life towards things that cannot get stolen, that nobody can take away from you, they will not depreciate, and it will last forever. It'll resonate with eternity. So being open-handed with our money is really good for us, it's good for our hearts, Because like I said last week, if we don't hold on loosely to our money, our money, man, it'll get a tight grip on us. Which explains why it feels like our heart's in a vice grip. We're so worried, and the thing that we're worried so much about is money. We have so much anxiety around it. And listen, God's not telling us to do anything that hasn't first been done for us. He's not telling us to do anything to earn his love, to earn his affection, or to earn his favor. We have it. He did that for us. He sent Jesus to a cross so that we could have all this. So, so there's no amount of money that you can give that gets you in good standing with God. That's not what this is about. I, I love what this verse says right here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, you aware of this? Like it's, like it's like the author's going, man, are you aware of how just mind-blowing this is, this grace thing? That though he was, what's the word? Rich. Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And that's not talking about financial wealth. 
It's talking about spiritual wealth. It's talking about the confidence that you can have walking and knowing that you are loved no matter what and that you are secure and that you have identity and value that you can find only in Christ. Or Philippians 2, which says this, let each of you look not only to his own interests, so it's okay to look to your own interests, just don't look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which by the way, you have access to, it's yours in Christ Jesus. Remember him? Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or leveraged or held onto, but rather what he did was he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus has gone first. Jesus has demonstrated what it looks like to hold on loosely to one thing so that he can take hold of something else, and what he took hold of was us. He's not telling us to do anything that he hasn't done first. He's not telling us to do anything that's not good for us. Which is why Jesus lands this entire teaching with this very famous phrase. Whether you've been to church or not, you've heard some version of this. When he says this. For where your treasure is, there will your what? Heart be also. That's a non-negotiable. That's just a true fact. Where your treasure is, is where your heart will be. That's, that's just true. And your treasure is what you're seeking. It's what you've aligned your life towards. It's what you've ordered your life towards. It's what you're pursuing. And money is a terrible place to have your heart live. Because money is not powerful enough to deliver what your heart so desperately desires and needs. And so when we pursue money at all costs, when we seek it above all else, what it does is it takes our hearts captive and money is a brutal taskmaster. So don't try to get from anyone or anything what you can only get from God including and especially money. So this week, the challenge is this. How can you demonstrate clearly, tangibly, with your money that money doesn't have your heart, but rather God has your heart? See, if you can trust God with your heart, if you can trust God with your life, if you can trust God with your eternal destination, if you can trust God with all of that, then you can certainly trust him with your money. So we're going to take communion today. And that may seem kind of weird when we're talking about finances and stuff like that, but I actually don't think it is at all because... This is kind of like an an illustration for us. See, we give because he gave more than we ever could. We sacrifice because he made the ultimate sacrifice for us. We lay down things like our money because he laid down his life for us. And we're generous with what we have because he was generous with everything he had. When he went to that cross and he paid the price for you and I. Let's pray. Father, come before you right now and um, in some of our hearts they feel like they're just uh, they're in a vice overwhelmed and stressed out and worried and anxious God we're tired of carrying it we're tired of the fear that we walk in we're tired of just being so wound up in tomorrow that we lose the joy that's available to us today so father as we look to the cross of your son Jesus could you just reshape our hearts to be reminded that we can trust you because you did everything for us. You loved us before we could ever respond and love back to you. You loved us while we were still sinners. You loved us while we were still weak and you gave us grace and mercy in our time of need. So Father, we want to worship you now, not to earn your love or affection, but because we already have it. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.